You're listening to. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. Joining me once again to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days, we have self proclaimed professional Asian American, just you. What's up? Hey, hey. Other than racism and terrible things. It's been quite a week, hasn't it? Yeah, but you can say that about that like every <laughs> single week since quarantine, Marvin. <sighs> but yes, this has been an especially terrible week with another spike in obscenely explicit, terrible racist things and isn't like rnc this week it's just all terrible yeah i've been mm-hmm. i've been off the news cycle the past few days yep. um because i've been busy which which is good but also oh, I'm actually i actually up today and like yeah no i deliberately have avoided it it's re- really one of those things where like since i work at salon i should be up on it but i like no i gotta protect myself <laughs> um that voice is our other co-host culture editor han win hello hey han hi uh, any bright spots over the past week? Jess, are you partaking in any new food projects? No, I've also, unfortunately, and unwisely maybe, uh, have decided to start eating healthier this week and like working out and all that stuff. And it's supposed to make you happier and give you endorphin rush. I don't know. I have not been feeling that. But... um I did watch like airplane recently and it just makes me feel like, oh damn, I picked a what a week to pick to stop eating fat food, you know? <laughs> just Thank you truly. for that that deep cut. Um, Thank you. Thank yes. you. I enjoy airplane. Oh yeah. It was it was I'll, I'll talk more about that later. That that's my what's popping, but it, it's it's something. It's something. <laughs> yep. 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 Yeah, those endorphins. Are no match for the existential dread of her current present. So, <laughs> so what's popping? Yeah, let's Marvin? find out what what good pop is getting us through our week. Um, yeah, or, I, I can start. Um, so, uh, my summer of anime continues. But um, this past week, I picked up a new game on my Nintendo Switch um, called Banner of the Maid, uh, which is a tactical RPG. The premise is what drew me to it. So. Banner of the Maid is an alternate universe version of the French Revolution. Ooh. You play as Pauline Bonaparte, the real-life sister of Napoleon Bonaparte. <laughs> oh. In this world, um, basically, the French Revolution got delayed by 10 years uh-huh. because of intervention by Marie Antoinette. She convinces King Louis to concede to the... Um, uh, who were who were the uh, who were the revolutionaries? It wasn't Jacobins yet. The, it was the uh, the tri hat the tricolors like the freedom the the culottes. Something about like their pants were short. <laughs> oh man, the, the faction led by uh, Marquis de Lafayette, right? So in this new version of um, the French Revolution era France, um, the royal family is still in power. Marie Antoinette has engaged a kind of like a PR campaign to introduce gender equality in the military. And in the civic service. So now you have women like Pauline Bonaparte who are military officers in the French army. And they've rebranded witches into quote-unquote maids. And so I'm still a couple hours in, so I'm not deep into the story. We just finished the Italy campaign of the French Revolutionary Wars. But yeah, so um, it's a pretty solid game. The art style is really interesting because um, it's told in like visual novel format. So you have portraits of characters with text that you read. But it seems like they can't decide on a specific style of art because there's 
Um, there's Western style art for some of the characters, and some of the characters are obviously anime characters with anime proportions. But uh, the most interesting thing is this game was developed by a Chinese developer called Azure Flame, and so all the voice acting is in Mandarin. Whoa! So you have French characters twist speaking Mandarin during battle. <laughs> yeah. No, this is gonna be the new normal, Marvin, because Chinese uh, like production companies are gonna take over everything. So everything's gonna be in Chinese, and you know what? I'm fine with it. It's pretty amazing because, um, because I was not expecting them to speak Chinese. So when I first heard it, I was like, "Oh crap!" Like, whoa. But yeah, it's um, it's available on Switch now. I think it's like twenty bucks on the eShop. Um, but mm-hmm. if any of that sounds interesting to anybody, definitely check it out. I might wait until you finish. Let's <laughs> see. Han, what's popping with you? Uh, so I will tell you half of how I've been spending my time and then give you an actual recommendation. But um, half of my time has been spent watching some uh, martial arts and action films because I needed that escape. And so I started the Ip Man films um, with Donnie Yen uh, playing that historical uh, martial artist who had actually taught Bruce Lee. And um, I was warned ahead of time online that they're like, um, it's very nationalist. And I was like, okay. Um, I still wasn't prepared for that. But um, they're all right. I mean, it's, of course, not just nationalist. It also has many other issues with it. But that's with a lot of martial arts films that they're very sexist. They're very, you know, nationalist. They're just, they're just... for me, I don't need the story to be good. I want it, hopefully, them <laughs> just to get through it so they can get to the next fight. And, and the fights better be good. So um, so a lot of times that does devolve into melodrama and um, ch- beating on your chest and stuff like that. You know, the machismo so they can get to the next fight. Um, but I was happy to see, like, on the second film that uh, Samo Hung who had been doing the uh, who's a producer and also has been doing the choreography um, got to actually perform in there because I missed him from when he was in America and he <laughs> did his show Martial Law and uh, and um, apparently you know that didn't last long and so he went back. The second to, one yeah. was the one where they pretty much copied Rocky Four, right? Yeah, <laughs> where <laughs> I mean, Hung was the Creed uh, yeah. character. I, and I'm so fine with that um, as long as, again, if the fighting's <laughs> any good. Like, I'm diehard. Like, I will watch most martial arts films. Um, it Fast forward through certain things. I did fast forward a few times when there was, like, people just talking because I don't care. Um, and so those were still fine, but they weren't really scratching the itch for me because um, I was thinking about this because Cobra Kai is coming to Netflix uh, um, from youtube and um they're setting it up by having the first two seasons from youtube air um on netflix and then the season three will be coming soon after that and um and i just remember how much like karate kid was a big deal for me as a kid um and we watched all of the bad 80s martial arts (laughs) movies from america and of course from like hong kong um so and i also just in addition to that, watch like some Jason Statham movies because, you know, you got to see him fight. <laughs> um, and so I enjoyed that. But those those were just kind of like scratching that itch. They weren't really, you know, not not great storytelling. You always have to kind of turn your turn the other way when like certain things are just they're very cringy. Um, 
the 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 English voice acting is almost always the worst thing is when they have <laughs> like I would rather that they they just speak Chinese, you know, <laughs> or whatever, like the languages. So uh yeah. Anyway, but the thing I will recommend, and this actually did make me very, very happy, was um on Netflix and it's out already right now, um, is a documentary called Rising Phoenix. And it is about the Paralympics. And um, by the end of it, I was so super into like some of the competitions, even though, of course, this is had to have been in the past. So you can Google anything and get your spoilers. But um, what I liked about it was they gave the history of Paralympics. They, of course, highlighted certain um, athletes from all over the world. And they really dug into their stories. They also sort of represented them in ways that were unusual. Like um, one of the swimmers, uh, they had just interludes where they created sort of like underwater ballet scenes for her to highlight, you know, the the beauty of what she does. And so it was kind of recontextualizing how we see um, people with disabilities. But um, then they shifted into like following the more recent games. So they had the um, London games, the Beijing games, and then like all eyes were on the real games. And the problem with that was, I know a lot of people probably remember that Rio was a sort of a shit show <laughs> going into it. <laughs> so this was even worse because even before the, so the, the Olympics and the Paralympics, the Olympics always happen first and the Paralympics follow, but they um, have one big pot and there's a certain amount of the budget that's set aside for Paralympics. But like, f- I think eight weeks before they were supposed to go on, all of a sudden they were, they were told that there was no budget, that they had taken it and used it for the Olympics. <gasps> oh my God, so, that's terrible. Yeah. So it's actually kind of a crazy nail biter because again, like I said, if it's history, you can go look it up, but it's just so well done for them, like trying to see how they're going to get the money, but then also are people going to show up? Like, what is this? And because there's this whole concept, of course, that like if the Paralympics don't happen and get that sort of, you know, um, uh, um, focus, then people are going to the, this movement, you know, this disability movement to kind of like be treated and be focused on um, is it, going to go downhill. So like they've come so far and then if it doesn't happen. So it's really actually like, nail biting and um for them to you know you'll see how it plays out but you know it was it was fascinating i i I ended up being very sad that i've never watched the paralympics before because i felt kind of just dumb about it um and i'm very sad again now that tokyo isn't happening this year because i would love to watch it um and i am also worried because of the postponement because you know previously of course i was worried that the postponement at the Tokyo Olympics would mean like people would age out, money would be lost. Who knows if it's going to happen? But then this is like higher stakes. Um, And so now I'm I'm like, I'm going to start like following some of these people on Instagram, see what I can find out about them, what they're doing right now. Um, Oh, and interestingly, Prince Harry is in it. Oh, Um, (laughs) oh, yes, because he does like the Invictus Invictus games, games, right? Yeah. The, The weird thing is. When they do the little Chiron with his name, there is no Prince Harry. It just says Duke of Sussex. <laughs> so I just thought okay, that was- but is Meghan in there? Because no, no. that's who we no. really stand. No, no, I know you do, but no. And I think that was wise of them. Um, but I am just also just very curious about the 
choice because I know Duke of Sussex is his title, but usually there is a name. <laughs> so um, I thought that was very interesting um, how they decided to do that. Maybe that was his choice. No, know? I think I think. OK, so uh, guilty yes, pleasure. I'm like an Anglophile, which is terrible. But like, oh, I'm I like oddly very into like the weird culture of like royal culture. I think it's mm-hmm. so archaic. Like, you know, like we're period peace fanatics. So I think sure. there's there's like a correlation there but i think once you get married you get your title when you get married and then once you get your once you get married and you have that official title you go by that set of prince i know so that so. but he doesn't even have the name harry that's what i thought was interesting in, yeah you in, just go by your title yeah because so i think I, it's like duke of duke of cambridge right like yeah like william always goes by duke william and k are duke and duchess yeah. of cambridge i i guess i just still like maybe it's because i'm so american i'm just like but you put the name first and then you do the title um like they we still say queen you know queen victoria queen elizabeth or whatever so well, yeah that's when you're uh, queen though yeah and <laughs> you know anyway, you know. anyway so uh <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought that was just surprising because I was like, hey, this British guy looks a lot like Prince Harry <laughs> when I was watching it. And I was like, oh, it is. <laughs> anyway, uh, please watch it, everyone. I think it's really very well done. It's actually beautifully made, well produced. Like, I don't know where they got this money, um, but I'm all pro this and I want to see more. I wish it was actually a series. Nice. What's popping with you? Uh, unlike Han and her classy documentary watching, I watched Airplane, the classic 19, I think it's in the 80s, 1980 comedy, which uh, Airplane 2 is better. What? (laughs) It is? Well, for reasons. I I, I will jump in. Is it less racist? No, 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 no. Well, okay. It doesn't have the person speaking jive who is uh, Barbara Billingsley, right? Yes. That was an airplane? Yeah. Unless they refer to her again. Um, But... Airplane 2 was the one in space, right? In space, yes. And it had oh, William Shatner. Oh, that sounds Shatner. pretty good. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> and it had William Shatner. But I will, sorry, I will let you finish and then I will jump in because these movies meant a lot to me as a kid. <laughs> okay, so I have definitely heard about these movies and I've definitely seen clips and I've seen the references and it's, it is, it's, it's extremely influential. Like these are the guys who, it's, it's very much in the vein of, um, you know, like Mel Brooks films and and Mel Brooks is a little bit smarter though. <laughs> uh, and they did the scary movie. So it's like that lineage. And I mean, I did not grow up with these. I'm watching this like as a 26 year old woman and it's, I feel so bad because I loved it. But also I was just like, oh, this is so problematic. <laughs> but I loved it. It was really funny. Um, Really, really talented cast all around. And it's just so wild. Like, I don't even think an R-rated movie now would pull some of, like, not even racist, <laughs> like, sexist shit aside. I don't even think they would pull some of this stuff now. Like, the first joke is the two announcers over make, making those announcements on, like, LAX. You know, like, please move your car. Don't, no parking in the XYZ zone. And they start fighting because they're like, you wanted me to get that abortion. And, like... <laughs> Oh, like, oh, my God. Like, whoa. Wow. So uh, which I really I love dark humor. So like that yeah. just cracked me up. And then the joke that maybe bad pun that killed me was when he's talking about how he met Julie. So at the center is this couple. It's a flight attendant in a war. Ted pilot. Stryker. 
Ted Stryker, who was, you know, is traumatized, was a pilot during the war and is now traumatized. And and so he has a drinking problem. He has a lot of problems, drinking problem, like commitment issues. And he definitely he so basically like he's chasing after uh, Julie or what's her name? Julie. The actress is Julie Haggerty. Elaine. Elaine. He's chasing Elaine, uh, who's a flight attendant. So he like gets on this plane to like convince her to get back together. And that's like showing, you know, he's taking that leap. And he's like explaining how they met to the old lady next to him. And like it's a long sequence. They love jokes, love sight gags. And then it comes back and they're like, the old woman has hung herself. I was like, oh my god. And then that becomes a running joke that gets progressively more racist. But it's also like so like the the core of the joke is really funny. Like this guy is so annoying. Like you just like everyone just kills themselves. Um, but you know, you get surprised James Hong as like a as like a oh god, like a Japanese general who commits suicide when he starts talking. And I'm just I feel so bad of laughing and I feel so bad. Like I know better, but this is so funny. Oh God! Yes, so, yeah. Well, I well, I think the line is well. Okay, there are a few things here. Like one, there is um, if you kind of Google deeper, I think there is a uh, this specific disaster movie that um, it's really riffing off of. But I mean, it was a kind of a riff of all of those disaster movies of airplanes and stuff like that. You know, flights and. But at the same time. You're right. It like their type of comedy was some a lot of it was the lowest common denominator type of stuff. But like for me as a kid, it was just so delightful because it's packed, packed with jokes that are very transgressive. Right. And um, and yes, they are racist and they're sexist and all this stuff. But I also for me, what I love the most were the sight and verbal gags, um, like the puns. Oh, so, the, the the three yeah. pilots, right? Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. Over, it's like under, Richard under. Over, under <laughs> yeah. Victor Vector, uh, and then Kareem Abdul Jabbar, <laughs> yes, who is like is the co-pilot Roger Murdoch, and he's like Roger, Roger. I mean, that's great. And then you know, yeah. of course, the famous line like Shirley, you must be choking. It's like serious. I'm, I am serious, but don't call me Shirley. Yeah, um, but uh, also like when I was talking about the drinking problem, his drinking problem is he, he misses his mouth with the uh with his drink <laughs> yes like he gets so i was like all of that stuff was gold to me as a kid um and uh and, oh, it's and still gold like, yeah yeah it's- and leslie nielsen i think he's what i loved about it, it was um so back in the day he was actually a dramatic actor and he was like a romantic lead and all that type of stuff and so these producers i think zucker abrams zucker they started him doing this type of spoofy comedy with the police squad TV series. So basically it's a police show, but this style. And then from there they got him into this. So, and then of course he went to the uh, naked gun series too. Yeah. I mean, I remember liking these movies, like these Leslie Nielsen movies, like top secret. Um, yes. Top Secret, <gasps> top yeah. secret was one yeah. of theirs, but I don't think he was in it. It was a uh, Val Comer in that right. one. airplane. Like, even like you can say like the old Mel Brooks films like Spaceballs, right? Like parodies mm-hmm. of pop culture, but done mm-hmm. in a really smart way. And granted, a lot of them don't age well. Like you yes. can't watch Naked Gun without seeing O.J. Simpson in it yeah. now. There's oh. such oh. reflections of their time. The time. That, yeah. yeah. And um, I do remember, and I can't remember which one it was, one of the scary movies. Um, so Leslie Nielsen is in it. 
And I remember I actually did an interview with him at a roundtable. And I remember asking him, hey, so uh, I heard at one point when you were reading with someone that you would use like a whoopee cushion or something like that. And sure enough, he started using it. He didn't even pull it out. He just had it ready. Wow. <laughs> and it was just totally straight face looking at me. And I, and I could hear the farting sound. <laughs> like it was amazing because of course that wouldn't play well like in in the written form but uh yeah I mean, definitely product of its time and like you know as much as you can like not account for that i totally get it if some you, some people can't get over it but like i just love i do love like dumb smart comedy mm-hmm. um you know people who could straddle that line i think they did a really good job of like just how you know the deadpanness of of these like serious characters but in these ridiculous situations really enjoyed it but i'm also like a fan of like you know mel brooks and i i i like these movies i think they're great and i think it's really hard to do comedy um so i really love top secret too those are probably my favorites (laughs) yeah i love the naked gun so series so it's it's like um it's it's just like yeah, you, it is low, lowest common denominator, but if you don't do it with finesse, it just doesn't work. Yeah. And it's like I was saying, it's packed with jokes. So it's kind of like if they miss on something, there's going to be something else, you know? Yeah. Like you get, get over, over it fairly quickly. Uh, and then, I mean, I mean, some of the, you know, classics that I, I'm sure most people have seen is like the woman's freaking out in the airplane seat. So they're like slapping her. There's like a line forming to like slap her. They like beat the like, shit out a, of her. Yeah. There's like a nun. <laughs> there's like, there's like a guy it's with a baseball so bat. <laughs> This old lady like has a gun in her, like pulls out a gun. It's just, it's just, it's just wild. And I, I also I think mean, about why my parents let us watch this. <laughs> I think it's rated R, right? Oh, it has oh, to be. I'm There's like sure. a shot where like the woman's naked. She's just like yeah. naked and runs across yeah, the screen. It's no yeah. no I, reason. I remember my mom's favorite scene of, I think it was one of the Naked Gun films, where it was the scene where Leslie Nielsen's character goes into the bathroom after making a speech with his laugh still on. Oh, hot mic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's Good on Netflix. Uh, check it out. Oh, you I'll know, tell my brother. Oh, well, great. He'll be under, under Understand the context of which it was made. Um, and just... just <laughs> we got to talk about like, problematic faves at some point on this podcast. Because I, I think so many. As, as adults, like a lot of the stuff we consumed as kids or that we loved... Um, Oh, I mean, you are talking to a woman raised on, like, Disney films, right? (laughs) Like, you just got to turn your brain off when you watch some of those. Just Just pick a genre, pick a medium, and there are so many. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's cool. I might check out Airplane again. I haven't seen that movie in, I want to say, almost 20 years. So it's been a while. I think you'll probably get more jokes this time around than you did the last time. (laughs) As a, like as a, like a twelve year old. Well, that'll do it for our uh, what's popping roundup. Uh, when we come back, we're gonna check out the latest entertainment news from the month of August and ask ourselves if we want this. Stick around. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. We're the host of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Every month, we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a wide variety of genres from contemporary to historical fiction, fantasy to memoirs, and crime thrillers to romance. Some of our past book club picks are Pachinko by Minjin Lee, Sorcerer to the Crown by Zen Cho, and Devotion of Suspect X by Keigo Higashino. We also go over what's new in the Asian American literary world and chat with some talented Asian authors about their work. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com. You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. And welcome back to Good Pop. Uh, it's the end of August. So we're here to talk about. Uh, so we're here. Uh, so it's time for our monthly entertainment news roundup um, in a segment we call "Do We Want This?" In which we each go around and pick two news stories to bring to the group and ask ourselves if we want this or not. This month, let's start with Jess. All right, in the news that sent Asian Twitter a flutter, Asian every social media a flutter. Daniel Daddy's Daniel Day Kim and Randall <laughs> Park are teaming up to do. Oh, uh, drum roll, please. A fucking heist film. <laughs> pew, 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 pew. Air horns, air horns, confetti guns. So obviously, I want this. Uh, Marvin, do you want this? Yeah, I'm always down for heist films. I think they're um, always they're a good way to get a bunch of people together and just have fun. Exactly. You know? Ha, do we want this? Um so much and i want a so- series i want a lot i want everything we want like an oceans like 11 12 13 but like th- <laughs> like with this cast right yeah so and i'm fine with it being a revolving cast yes so it is going to be written by a asian american writer young il kim that's awesome like that that's props to that and it's i believe it's set up at amazon uh, studios which is also run by an Asian American studio head. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's it sounds it sounds promising all around, but you know what? Even if it's a bad heist film, it's still going to be a good heist film cuz even bad heist films are good. <laughs> okay, but here's here's a question now. I I I threw this out to you guys earlier and I, I really want to play this game. They've committed to having a Asian American team basically, a cast, you know, ensemble cast. So, Let's say we get five picks each. Who are we fa- fantasy drafting to complete <laughs> these teams in addition to Daniel Day Kim and Randall Park? Han, you want to go first? Sure. But I also was complaining that you're trying to get me to just pick five. Well, we, I could, actually, save, we yeah. could save the rest for the sequel. But, yeah. like, you know, you got to s- establish the core team first. Yeah. I mean, I also just listed everyone like that I wanted on the side. And I was like, okay, out of these. Five. Uh, anyway, but the obvious. I mean, most Danny obvious, Ocean got eleven, right? Yeah, he got like D- Danny Ocean got eleven. That's true, but you know, I kind of want to go like a little more in yeah. breadth, you know, in depth, <laughs> not yeah. breadth. Yeah, I mean, we should actually pick six to make eight. Anyway, um, so <laughs> oh, um, like lucky number. Chinese yes. eight. Okay, <laughs> of course. Okay, okay. You, I'll give you an extra one. You get six. Okay. Go, well, I go. think I already listed six anyway. So, uh, Michelle fucking yo oh i was like my first absolutely hands down you gotta have the veteran of the group but also like have, if you've seen her on 
well, on anything, but also most recently Stars Trek Discovery. She's such a badass. Um, I When we're talking about my love of martial arts, she's definitely part of that because, you know, she really made it like where even Jackie Chan was like, OK, begrudgingly, like, I guess women can do martial arts, you know, um, and she's just hilarious, too. She's so funny. She's such a great actress. Um, I added Sandra Oh. Uh, she can do anything. So I'm not sure exactly what I either. She could be a fast talker. She could be a business person. She could be an assassin. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you need to be able to do everything. Um, I added uh, Nikesh Patel just because I had just watched Four Weddings and a Funeral. And, and I was like, well, I need someone brown um, in there. And I had I had a whole list. And I was like, OK, I'll go with him first. Um, Greta Lee, because I've been whenever I see her, she's always I feel like playing something oddball, but is still making me laugh. And I think there's something that X factor about her that I was like, I'm not sure what I'd want her to do. Um, but I think she would maybe be a master of disguise or something. I don't know. Um, Harry Shum, I, I, I kept playing back and forth with this, but I think I wanted him in there because he hasn't really gotten all of the suave roles I would like to see him in. I mean, we're still waiting for the second, you know, Crazy Rich Asians thing. Um, and so I would like to see him suited up, you know, um, in some way, but of course, of course, he's very good physically doing things. And that also led me to the last one who is Andrew Koji because, um, warrior season two is coming out soon. And so he's been on my mind. I'm getting ready to watch the screeners of that. He's definitely very good physically. Um, why we will have martial arts in this movie, it doesn't matter. It will. Um, so uh, we and we can always maybe not make him do martial arts. But at the same time, like, why wouldn't you? So uh, th- but there are so many more. And OK, I'll hold back. But Jess, how about you? OK, so you got Daniel DeKim and Randall Park, right? Like, I think DDK is going to be our like Danny Ocean, like lead, you know, organizer, dude. And you really need like a female energy because I'm doing this co co-ed. You need like a female energy who can like really go up against him and like almost like run circles around him to make it interesting. Right. And they got to have like some sexual tension. Like I imagine it as like this is an old flame. Maybe they wronged one another. Now they got to get back together to do something. So I'm going to pick Archie Punjabi as number one. Fantastic actor. We haven't seen enough of her. I think she can go toe to toe. with. I think honestly she could probably run circles around DDK as much as I love DDK. And she's just like she's beautiful. She's like tough but she could be snarky and like i i just think it'd be a great like energy match okay uh then every every good heist film for some reason has twins you gotta have twins so i'm gonna bring in the twins from sunny side uh the best part of the show which is poppy lou and joe kim booster as the hacker twins in this movie um usually hackers are like solo you know they're always just interacting with a computer i'd love to see like a hacker act interact with like another person and like they can just kind of be like those mean, like millennial, like, you know, energy from the group. Like, oh, my God, you don't know what this is. They're great at that. Uh, then we got Riz Ahmed because I love Riz Ahmed and I will put him in everything. I think he can be the con man, the suave one, you know, the one who like greases people. Uh, I also I stole your idea. I love Michelle Yeoh as the old hat, you know, like I would think it'd be great if she could like play on like stereotypes of like old ladies like old asian ladies but really she's fucking michelle yo and <laughs> right like ridiculous uh but definitely the veteran maybe the mentor but um something like that uh then 
I feel like every high school you need just like a hot person, just like a hot, <laughs> like just a plain hot. Like their job is to be hot. Like let's be real. Like there's a Brad Pitt, there's a there's a Gal Gadot, you know, in the in Fast Five. You just need someone hot. So Manny Jacinto is going to be our hot person. Usually it's like a woman, like she's the token woman who's like just hot, and that's her job. But like let's flip that. Let's flip that. Manny is going to be hot, and I'm sure he could do something else for the heist. But like number one job, be hot, and then. We need a little more female energy, a little younger. So I would love Maya Erskine. She's so quirky. I don't really know. Like she might be, I feel like she might be like the kid, you know, like the one who is the most inexperienced, who is the mentee and like she has something to prove. And uh, yeah, yeah, I would, I would watch many, I would watch this, this group rob anything. You could rob my heart. I would watch them do anything. Definitely rob and pull heist, but them do a lot of things like have a family dinner uh, put on a play uh, <laughs> ballroom dance like yeah like, save the candlelight yeah save an orphanage i mean whatever they want to do i will watch them do it as long as they're together yeah marvin do you have a team all right so i also took a look at the different types of roles there could be so obviously ddk as the anchor person of this uh of this series is the mastermind. He's the Danny Ocean. He's the the ringleader, right? Yeah. And I'm assuming Randall Parks will be the rusty, like the one who has his back. Yeah, and a little bit comic relief. Always eating something. But it's like kimchi and kimbap <laughs> and bong oh oh, I, um, I love that. I think um the veteran I have um Tai Ma. Gotta get yes. why not just have everyone's Ooh, daddy yes. be be the veteran here. I can see yes. him playing like a like a old hat who's just over it. Yes, definitely. So my heist requires a wheelman, right? Someone who knows how to handle cars. And when you talk about handling cars, you have to go Sun Kang. Hey. It could even be Han. Is it going to be a crossover? Is he Han from the Fast Five series? From Fast and Furious series? It can be ambiguous. Like, it could be Han from the same series. Just like Han could be the same Han as Better Luck Tomorrow. Yeah. It's the better, it's the Han trilogy, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Such a good idea. So for my confidence, man, um, I was thinking someone like Gemma Chan, someone who's like elegant, who's able to get into circles. But I think having like a a female confidence man would be a really cool way to switch switch it up a little bit, especially Asian female, because oh they yeah, can play no, I'm all telling sorts you, of it's, stereotypes. But see, it would be too easy because like I'm not <laughs> even that hot, and I feel like I can con a bunch of stupid dudes into doing shit for me Have just I because I'm people? like an Asian female. Yeah. Have I conned people before? Sure. They underestimate you. Yeah. <laughs> or they just feel bad for they think you can't do anything. So you're like, okay, cool. Carry my heavy shit for me. I'm good. And then um you always need someone on the ground, right? The master thief, like the person with the who knows how to get like in. Like the and hands, out. the hands, yeah. yeah. Um in this version, I want them to be a gentleman thief, a la like Arsene Lupin. And I think they should be played by Dev Patel. Because I think he has that British accent. We've seen him play like heroic characters. Yes, he's always very noble. But I kind of want him to play someone kind of like slimy. Shmarmy. Yeah. He's still hot. That'll make him hotter. He can have his hot beard. I know. He'd be in the suit the entire time. And like, Mm. yeah. Um, And then finally, I also had Michelle Yeoh in my my lineup. But instead of being the veteran, she's the muscle. Because you always need the body Uh, man, right? Yes. The person who shows up and everyone's like, oh shit, we're fucked. Combat denominator, Michelle Yeoh, make it happen. <laughs> I think there's so many good choices out there. 
I'm excited yeah. to see how this film will go because like heist films are like at this point a dime a dozen, right? There's so many different variations. So there's so many different ways. Like even Fast and the Furious had a heist film, right? But something that plays on that with like the Asian American perspective or the Asian perspective mm-hmm. would be super interesting. And I'm excited because of the people on board, I think the potential is there for them to do it really well, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm also wondering like, what are they going to steal? Yeah, is this like a one last job type of thing? Is this a is this a revenge type of thing? Yeah, right. Like, is it? I'm not making revenge, but like with a bigger message attached. <laughs> mm-hmm. I would watch this. Yeah, uh, I need to know. <laughs> yeah, so definitely, we all want it. We're yes. all waiting for news on it. Um, and just very excited. Yeah, Han, what's your story? Uh, so switching gears, I'm gonna do a. Sort of a romantic comedy, but um, so late night director Nisha Ganatra, uh, she has development um, in development a single camera matchmaking comedy at ABC, um, and it, you recall like she was the director of Late Night that had uh, that starred Emma Thompson and Minnie Kaling. She also did The High Note with Tracy Ellis Ross and Dakota Johnson, but basically it is a uh, comedy in which let me scroll to it. <laughs> Here's the plot. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it is a unlucky in love romantic and her no nonsense mom who butt heads as they run the most successful matchmaking service in Little India. So I think this is probably playing off of the uh, popularity of Indian matchmaking on Netflix. Um, I'm sure this was already being pitched for a while, but, you know, now that it's gotten the green light, I don't think that's a, a coincidence. And um, but I also love, of course, that it is set in America. So um, we'll we'll get that there. But I'm just ah, do we want this? I want this. I am always a little bit wary. I, I do have to say when it comes to intergenerational uh, romantic things, just because <laughs> sometimes there's some overbearingness. But if it's done just right, I think it will play very true to what a lot of our experiences are. I think the. The fact that this is an actual matchmaking, you know, operation will make it interesting because people will be seeking them out. But I would also love if, let's say, um, the unlucky in love romantic maybe is not is resistant (laughs) to her mother's, you know, uh, work. And then uh, is maybe all the aunties are like perhaps sticking their nose into her business but <laughs> who knows if that's where it's gonna go that's kind of where i see it um what about you guys do, are you into this what do you I think i want this too um yeah. like you said these types of movies with intergenerational like um meddling i guess always has the potential to be a little uh cringy or i guess trauma triggering but at the same time i think in terms of a rom-com, it's a pretty, like the heist film, it's pretty well-worn territory, right? This is pretty much like your hitch or your wedding planner. So the um, the bones are there for a successful film. But I also like Nisha Ganatra. I really like Late Night. And I'm excited to see what she brings to this topic, which I, I imagine is something that she, um, whether personally or peripherally, has experience in and wants to tell stories of. Yeah, well, I I wonder if... You know, for our South Asian like brothers and sisters, this is like the whole the whole idea of matchmaking is always such a central like storyline. I I think it's like maybe the East Asian equivalent of like 
I'm fighting with my parents <laughs> or like, I don't want to, you know, like, like, you know, what we've been talking about intergenerational, like drama, like um, traditions versus, I guess. Well, yeah. Like your, the traditions of your home country with the traditions that you're. Yeah. But raising, specifically, right? but specifically like matchmaking, right? Like we don't really talk about like a, like, like there's a lot of different ways that the, you know, old country tradition versus like new American, like, 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 lens budding heads can play out it just always plays out as like arranged marriage or matchmaking which makes sense because it's just such a like you know you know anything involving sex and marriage and love just heightens the stakes for us because we're all primally just like nosy bitches right let's be real we're all nosy bitches like it's always interesting when it's like some kind of like romantic drama and then it's just such a the stakes seem so high and it just i think it's like very it just seems so foreign, right, to us if it's not, which, yeah. which seems to not be like it, it just honestly matchmaking kind of just sounds like your parents are going to introduce you to people, which had my parents had like friends with like eligible sons, I would not have minded either. Yeah. Um, but I do think that Nisha is a very smart filmmaker, a very considerate filmmaker and knowing her objectives of how of what story she wants to tell. I think the daughter's going to be gay. And I think that's a very interesting yeah. lens to view the story through. I also, because I'm looking at this, and she has done films in the past, but they did say single camera, which usually means series. It's series, yeah. So it's yeah. going to be a series on ABC. Which which I'm excited about because honestly, so um, matchmaking or serial sort of like um, romantic series like that haven't always had the best luck, but I still love them. If anyone recalls the very short-lived mismatch, um, but I also love Cupid, which was a ridiculous premise. And yet, I think the first time around it was very good, even though it got canceled. And then the second time around, it wasn't very good. Um, but like, I really love, and also maybe this goes back to even as a kid watching old Love Boat episodes. I like the concept of meeting new characters who would or maybe not fall in love. Um, per episode and seeing all the different ways that they do that so this device yeah maybe it might seem foreign or something but at the same time I think of course that will just make it nor like normalize um, uh, the way that people are doing it now because like you're saying it's just more of introducing it's not forcing yeah uh, and so it could definitely be like a procedural rom-com kind of feel, you know, like every we get like a match of the week or like the client of the week. And but we follow like a, you know, cast of regular characters over uh, over the series. And um, I mean, if it's Indian matchmaking, that means it, there's going to be a lot of brown Asians with jobs, which I am always 100 percent for. Right. You know, like we don't have to play like dead corpses anymore or like prostitutes in that one Chinatown episode. Like <laughs> this is another avenue for people to get co-star roles, guest star roles. It's it's and, and that actually probably might be the most impactful thing yeah. of the series. So many mom characters, so many aunties, so, so many, many aunties, so many put upon children. Writers and directors and I mean it, it's I, I mean there's a whole ecosystem that is required to make a show and that show can last for years and you know it can give people their first breaks it can give people that really important first credit that will open more doors so it's it's actually very exciting and again you know Nisha's company Ladies Car is very like in their directive is like telling like LGBTQ stories and you know of course her 
Emmy Award winning work on Transparent is really what she's known for as well. So I would love it. I would. I mean, what what does it? What would it look like to be the daughter in a Indian matchmaking family company business, and you yourself are like unmarried, not only unmarried, but queer. Yeah, like I think that just adds a whole another interesting layer. And it's like Disney too. It's ABC. It's Disney, so it's never not going to get too dark, which I mm-hmm. also appreciate. Like it's not going to be some like trauma porn about like the queer indian american experience it's gotta be like light it's abc yeah a little bit lighter it's but yeah but abc has also been very good about like representation um in the past and i'm very i would be very excited to see an indian american family uh at oh, the yeah. center because we've always gotten like little hints here and there like Occasionally, you'll see like Mindy's brother on Mindy Project or over on uh, <laughs> uh, Netflix, you know, it's, just it's it's but it's never really been centered that I can think of. Never so, have I ever other than never have. I. Oh, ever. gosh. OK, yes, of course. Never have I ever. Which was but, a huge success. So like, oh, let's my make more God, it's so good. <laughs> yes. Yes. But and this yeah. would be broadcast, too. So. So <laughs> we definitely want this, I guess, is where we're. <laughs> You know, like you said, Jess, any additional opportunities to get more people of color on screen? I think we're four. Let's do it. So many of them. And so many of them (laughs) will will be hot. So. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Han, can you? Let's get the Cash Patel on this show. Let's get the Cash Patel on the show, Han. Yes, please. But also. I'm sorry. Yeah. Can we be there for the casting? (laughs) I volunteer. I volunteer. Uh, not to objectify anyone but uh just helping anyway so marvin what about you what what uh what are you what's the story that you have to talk about um so my story is one of my favorite book series the Greenbone saga is being brought to the big screen or to the tv screen i guess um yeah it's a series jade city written by fonda lee is being adapted into a tv series on peacock which um distresses me because that means i have to get peacock but this show's not coming out for another year or two, so we still have some time. Jade City is the first book of the Green Moon Saga, which is one of my favorite um, books that I've read over the last few years. There's there's two books out so far, Jade City and Jade War. And the third book, Jade Legacy, is coming out, I think, next year. And so the premise of Jade City is this is a alternate universe fantasy-inspired world that's taking place in a fictional like Southeast Asian country called Kekon, which is kind of like a mix between Singapore and Hong Kong. It takes place in the time period, which would be the equivalent of post-World War II, when the city has just regained its independence from the um, fake Japanese empire of this world um, and is now kind of in the middle of a power struggle between Eastern and Western forces, which is the US and Russia. Like they're in entering the Cold War phase um, but this world also has magical powers. So Kekon is home to people called Greenbones who are able to channel energies from Jade Stone to do superhuman feats, like um, flying through the air, super strength, projecting like their chi, and um, things like that. So they're valued for their power. Um, they're the only people that can handle it without going crazy because uh, that's a side effect for a lot of um, other people who want to use it. So the setting is this kind of post-war growing industrial city that has a monopoly on this specific resource that grants powers to people. There's two rival warrior clans, um, the the Nopi clan and the uh, mountain clan that are fighting for control over the city. 
And the story centers around one of the families that runs one of the clans. It's kind of like The Godfather, but with Kung Fu and magical powers. And it's really, really cool. A lot of really great characters. It, it does get dark. It's an adult fantasy novel, so um, people die all over the place in it. Um, but it's definitely made for prestige television. And if done well, could be could be the next Game of Thrones or the next Westworld. Yeah, I think that's what they're banking on. It's probably going to anchor Peacock. It looks like something you have to make with a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Between the cast and the CGI and the costuming. So, I mean, that's exciting, right? Like, we don't really get these prestige, Asian-led, Asian-centered projects. Assuming it is Asian-led. Maybe that's a bad <laughs> assumption on my part. I mean, it's it, it takes place be. in fake Asia. But yeah, but a lot specifically... of things take place in fake Asia, Marvin, and they still cast white people. Yeah, no, I'm saying, I'm saying it, it takes place in the fake Asia. So, technically, they could... They could make them not Asian, but that would be totally shitty. And I know Fonda Lee, the author, is attached as a consultant, and there's no way she would let that happen. Okay, Fonda, we're, we're like, <laughs> uh, and I mean, Dave Kalstein, who is helping the writer helping this project, is Asian as well. So that's like a good, you know, inkling. Um, and he's very well versed in the kung fu and the action. So I mean, it's all lining up to sound very exciting, but like. Is there like a little tickle of fear in you guys that's like, oh, don't fuck this up. Don't fuck this up. I mean, I hope that I hope that like everything in this book is coded Asian. Like even the food and the way people dress. Um, there's no way if they do fuck it up, that would be egregious beyond compare you know it's like that would just be like malicious intent if they fuck that up but yeah on the deadline article that announced the adaptation breck eisner is attached to direct a few episodes and he is the director of a lot of the best episodes of the expanse which is another show that i follow so i think it's in good hands the team seems good i don't know about the rest of the writing staff the source material is definitely like geared to be epic I guess the one thing that I am worried about is the fight scenes will require a lot of like effects, like not just wire works, but like actual effects. And like so, magic, right? And yeah. So I, I, mm. I'm hoping that it won't look like uh, I'm hoping it won't look cheap <laughs> yeah. like, or cheesy, you know? All right. Because, yeah, come on, NBC Peacock. <laughs> gotta throw money at it, you know? Yeah. Gotta you make money yeah. to earn. Come on. Like, I mean, yeah, because also the thing is, of course, say even with wire work, that can look cheesy if it's not quite timed right or, <laughs> you know, so a lot of it uh, depends on the people behind the, the scenes. But then also you got to give it the money. Um, <laughs> it's it's one of the reasons why. Well, think about how rich that we were talking about Lovecraft County, country, county, Lovecraft <laughs> country looked. And it's because if you have the money to work with, it doesn't need to look cheap, but it could be still fantastical. Uh, yeah. yeah, and I really hope this does go the distance because the story itself is very diverse. There's a queer character in it that's struggling with his sexuality. There's, if it gets to the second book, there is a literal Asian American immigrant storyline within the story that is done really, really well. And I, I really wanted to get there. So the first two books by finally are out right now. And so if you want to get a head start, just checking out that book. It's, I highly recommend it. It's a really good read. Uh, it's I think both books are out on paperback now too, and you can when's read it on Kindle. The, when's the third book out? 
third book's coming out in 2021. Is it, okay. is it a trilogy or is it going to keep going? It's supposed to be a trilogy. Okay, cool. Okay. I'm just trying yeah. to time when I'm going to start this series. Yeah. Also, like, <laughs> I don't know, you know, it's been how many years since, like, George Martin finished the last book? I mean, well, we knew that we was going to take forever. We might we, not make it to the end, guys, of that book. And I don't know if I can handle that. <laughs> I mean, we knew that was just going to take forever. I'm fine. <laughs> just, uh, yeah, even by the time I got I read his fifth book, I was just like, that's I kind of don't need more. You know, I'll read them when they come out just out of curiosity. But <laughs> uh, yeah, heartedly. All right, Jess, what else you got? All right. So a it, also in deadline, it was announced that. A movie called Songbird has been has just finished production and it was, I believe, the maybe not the first, but it's one of the few movies that has been shot entirely in during basically quarantine or COVID-19 shutdowns. Uh, So STX has bought the distribution rights for North America and the United Kingdom and it stars KJ Appa, who is a uh, PI and Sophia Carson it's it's weird guys like <laughs> so it's number one it's a pandemic thriller so it's specifically about COVID-19 and it's set two years in the future when a lockdown is re-implemented after a more serious virus continues to mutate it it centers around an essential worker played by Appa who has a rare immunity and is therefore able to work as a delivery man to be with the one he loves, he must overcome martial law, murderous vigilantes, and a powerful family headed by Demi Moore's character. Okay, there are so many things wrong with this in the context of everything that's happening in the world. Number one, this entire cast minus KJ Appa is white or coded white. And I believe his character, from everything I've read, is also white. And KJ Appa, though maybe white passing, is not white. And to have him play an essential worker in that. T- okay. Like it's set in Los Angeles, ravaged by COVID. You cannot have an all white movie set in Los Angeles, ravaged by COVID. Like that's just, unless you're like literally going like very explicitly going with a theme that like all the people of color have just died because of our racist healthcare systems and systemic racist, like only white people are left. I was like, fine. If you're going to go with that bold move, let's go. <laughs> To for him to be a delivery man and have immunity, and when he himself is Pacific Islander, and there are all these reports that the Pacific Islander community has been the hardest hit per capita in Los Angeles in terms of COVID fatalities, it seems a little tone deaf. And then, like you know, this line: "Martial law, murderous vigilantes." And a powerful family. Do we really need this as a fictional narrative pandemic <laughs> thriller when we are living it? So I just think it's like, I mean, maybe I'm making unfair judgments about this movie. I don't want to go see a pandemic thriller. You know, I think it hits too close to home. I think it's too soon. I think the way they've handled it isn't inherently sensitive or smart. Um, and I don't think. They have an excuse because this movie was obviously written and pre- and shot in the last six months. So you should have known better, dudes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I want this neither. In fact, I right now, personally, I don't want it because I don't think I want a dramatization. It's it, One is too soon. And two, I mean, 
if we were going to make a COVID movie, why don't we make one about like, I don't, is there even heroism right now? Like if it's going to be about essential workers, like it should be the prestige film about how essential workers are like heroic figures, as opposed to this by all accounts, kind of like plug and play action plot. I also forgot it's produced by Michael Bay. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so it'll have A plus effects, I guess, and action it'll scenes. It'll have explosions and a random Delta squad coming in for no reason. Um, which again, like in the context of everything that's going around in the world and our continued conversations about policing, and uh, you know, again, and we've been talking about it's a rough week because literally a murderous vigil white supremacist vigilante killed three people in Wisconsin, like. I don't know. I don't even know if they're still going to release this movie. They probably will to make some money back. I don't know how it's going to get released. Um, I just, I just don't, I don't gotta, want this. Got to get those crane shots and that inexplicable butt shot. I, I think Hollywood has been really struggling trying to figure out what sort of COVID content people are wanting, and none of it's been hitting because they have not. Figured it out. They haven't really actually been asking people what they want. So no, like, yeah. so like, Freeform did their their uh, their series "Love in the Time of Corona," which that title alone just makes me want to hit something. Um, and you know the the talent is good, but it was kind of like no one really wanted to watch it. Everyone being in the same position that we're in. Um, and then I think HBO is going to have a series called Coastal Elites where everyone is, of course, quarantined at home and they're talking to their screens. Who wants to watch that? We already had the, you know, the DNC and the RNC. It just, everyone just needs to chill and figure out good stories and then stop trying to configure what's going on in the world because I don't I think people still haven't they need to get a little bit of distance there's a reason I think why we're all going to either escapist fair or uh, like let's say what Marvin like super like dramatic fantastical whatever because you know what sometimes I think sci-fi and fantasy deals with the matters that we're thinking of better than we can in our reality so like everyone needs to just chill and like talk to real creators <laughs> just like don't rush to produce something uh i don't actually mind kj appa he's he's he, archie right he, he i've never is, seen riverdale he is archie and um they always figure out a way for him to take off a shirt it's really which, which that's that yeah. i'm fine with it's, it's yeah, nothing, yeah. Uh, it's, i'm it's, actually it's not fine. against kj appa and um, yeah. and i did Sorry, just to clarify, I, I read through again. There are some people of color, you know, they're, they're Craig Robinson and Jenny Ortega are in it, but still, like, it, it's still not a good look. If yeah, if he's the lead, I, I do think it's it's uh, it's missing out on a lot, and they're yeah. and they're trying, but I was like, you didn't try hard enough, um, at all. It's I, I'm not <laughs> interested. It, it's it's up there with weepy movies where you know a romantic couple one of them's gonna die i know some people love that shit i do not oh that's just depressing as fuck <laughs> yeah i've so... never been into that so i know and i know it's a reality for some people but i just can't watch that so i don't know what this is gonna be i'm not saying that that is uh but yeah i have zero interest in this <laughs> all right how what's your second story all right um oh okay 
totally different, not in send the real world ish at all. Um, Raya and the Last Dragon. Uh, we had heard about this at D23. And basically the new information is that Kelly Marie Tran is uh, the voice of the lead as Raya, who is a warrior in search of the last dragon named Sisu, who is voiced by Aquafina. Um, and Sisu is a water dragon who can transform itself into a human being. Um, no, last of her kind. So I guess it is a she. Um, also, co-screenwriter um, Kui Win has come on as co-screenwriter um, with Adele Lim. So that's good news. Uh, this is sort of set in a mysterious realm called Kamandra. Um, so it's very fantastical-ish Asian, you know, sort of legendary type of stuff and feelings. And um, I know I was actually in the crowd at D23 when they announced this. And I wanted to really be excited about this. Um, didn't have a lot of Asian names attached to it at the time, um, other than I believe Adele Lim. Uh, and it was just, the, I think the other issue is that it was just far too in the future. Um, they didn't really have anything to show about it except some con uh, concept art. And since this is, like I was saying, sort of mythological, sort of fantastical, I think you really do need more than just one still photo or something to get people really excited about it. We don't know what the feel is. We don't know what the tone is, any of that stuff. Um, so I am cautiously happy that they have more Southeast Asian um, talent connected with this, but I'm still hesitant <laughs> to be fully on board. Uh, what do you guys think? I love Quee's writing, and I've been a fan of him. He's a playwright, and I've seen a lot of his work. It's always so fantastical um, in his very own way. So I'm very curious to see how that translates to the Disney lens. Um, but I'm excited. I mean, I'm just, again, raised on Disney. I give it a lot of passes that I don't give other people. I want that merch. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I'm down. I got, you know, another Halloween costume in the bag. Marvin? Yeah, I, I think I want this. As as much as Disney is like the corporate overlord company of our future, I do want them to make more inroads into different communities, right? Like we have so many Disney movies about generic European country or kingdom. Um, having one that takes place even in like an, an amalgam of Southeast Asia is a step in the right direction. Um, I think um I think they have, at least recently, their track record of being culturally, um, what's the right word? Culturally supportive or culturally um, cognizant um, has been pretty good. I mean, Moana was a good case study here, um, although Aladdin was kind of a train wreck, right? Um, yeah, different studios, though. So true. once the animation was a live action, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. And so I think the 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 the, the, the animation side has done pretty good, and I, you know it's it's really their bread and butter for you know historically and legacy wise, and because you can make as much merch as you want and not pay the voice actor. <laughs> <laughs> so you know they could turn that in you know it's evergreen. Yeah, I mean they're literally out of Hans Christian Andersen and Grimm's fairy tales, right? So they got to pull their stories from somewhere. Um, so why not 
dive into the deep canon of Asian mythology and folklore. It's, it's oh. it, yeah, it's a good point that you made about Moana. I actually am not always diehard down for Disney. Like, of course, I'll watch them, but I think I've been just more like kind of like half hearted, like, I'll support you, whatever. Uh, and not really like, I don't think I've watched any recent Disney film in the last like 20 years more than once because like I had enough of it the first time. Um, so yeah, but I have to say, I really did like Moana. Um, I will actually probably more recently, because someone mentioned it to me, watch Lilo and Stitch again soon because I want to see that. <laughs> so great, so good. yeah, and I remember up. that that was good. So again, I am cautiously happy about the new casting and the and the new co-screenwriter. Um, but I still have to see more. You know what? I think... I mean, this podcast is a Kelly Marie Tran stand podcast, right? Yes. So I think anything she's in, we're down to support. She was obviously robbed in Star Wars. So she needs, like, so, so Disney owes her. So maybe this, this is Disney's way of making it up to her. They do. It's the really least they could do. <laughs> I mean, they need to just use her more for everything. Yeah. Um, all right. I guess my last story, I'm going to go with another Disney story, which is um, something that happened at the beginning of the month, which is, we're finally getting a release date for Mulan. Hey. <laughs> After, because it was supposed to come out right March? at the start of COVID, right? March like twenty first. I had I, a screening lined up. I mean, Jess, you went to the premiere, right? I went to the premiere. All the professional Asians were there. <laughs> uh, I've actually seen it twice, so I feel that's a flex. Just you know, to be explicit here. Mm. Uh, so I feel like I should like rescue myself from this conversation or accuse myself from this yeah. conversation because I have in fact seen it. Uh, very lucky to have seen it in a theater with people, and it was really really fun. And it was it was it was it was a very special experience. And I'm really sad that you know obviously we won't go into theaters uh, anytime soon. But also better safe than sorry. So we'll probably talk about Mulan, the film itself, when it comes out. Um, the new release date is September 4th, which is next week, right? Mm -hmm. Next Friday. Um, but I do want to talk about the way they're releasing it because it's something new that Disney is trying out. So it'll be released as part of their Disney Plus service, but not really part of Disney Plus because you have to actually pay an extra, what, $30 to watch yes. it on demand. And that's just to watch it, right? That's not to own it. I think you like own it in the sense that you can stream it whenever you want oh. then yeah. as long as you have Disney plus. Yeah. I think what do you guys think about that? Do we want that? <laughs> it, it, I, I, I kind of understand theaters or, or whatever um, production companies they're, they're, they're trying to make back recoup the money that they would have had in theaters. That's why let's say right now, even um, this Friday, um, Bill and Ted face the music. Uh, they're going to be it's going to be in theaters, but also available um, online for twenty five dollars. So and that is to own. And I guess the concept is, is that's the cost of like two theater tickets or something like that. Um, but at the same time, wow, like, <laughs> because the, the experience at home may not be the same. You're not getting all the extra things. Um, which would include the sound system, the the experience, the visuals, like, in, you know, unless you have a huge screen. So, you, you, and especially like, let's say someone like me, I live alone. 
So that would be me paying that much money for one view. Um, I can force my my brothers to try to watch it. Uh, <laughs> they use my Disney Plus anyway, but um, will they? I don't know. So I mean, I I, I want to support, but it is uh, it's hard to make that sort of decision if you have less people in the family. If you have yeah. at least two people, that's great, right? Because that's the price of like two movie tickets at yeah. like yeah. a. AMC, which already kind of sucks because I remember when those tickets were like seven bucks. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah. I Back mean, in the day, a fifteen like a fifteen dollar ticket is kind of like all right. You know, that's what we've been dealing with these days. If I went before like ten a.m., sometimes it'll be eleven or at my local Lemily. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's. I I actually think it's like a very middle of the road decision because not everyone's happy in either way. Right. Um, so if you're like a like, the, it's very like, I think like if you go by the average data, it actually makes a lot of sense. Like there's going to be families of four or more where this is actually very cheap. Right. Because $30 as opposed to four tickets plus concessions and parking and whatever. Mm-hmm. And then there's going to be people who are like live alone. They're like, oh, I, I can't really justify like a $30. Uh, I don't really want to spend $30 just to watch the streaming movie. But then also thinking about how many people share Disney accounts, you know. Um, yeah. So it's like, and, oh, if you spread it over like four people, it's it's yeah. I my and mom I, is not on my Disney Plus yet. I'm going to get her on it. And so at that point I need to make sure she watches it <laughs> to make it worthwhile. <laughs> and and I feel like people who really want to who really want to watch this movie will probably suck it up and watch it because it's it's the only way they can. I don't know anybody, honestly, who are who is that diehard about it. Um, but I know there are a lot of Mulan fans out there. Jess, aren't you a Mulan fan of the original? Yeah, but I've seen it twice already. So like, I can't talk about <laughs> it with the same like. No, had I not seen it, I, uh, I still actually will probably be paying thirty dollars mm-hmm. to watch it to support. You know? Yeah, I, I probably am doing that too. So uh, and and, then- I, and I think it's a bigger conversation. It's interesting, also this bigger conversation, which I don't think it's necessarily, um, like as like cut and dry like about race i think it's more about economics in the way that they are obviously releasing this movie i mean it's the china around they, the world they need to get it in chi- into china they need to right? get it in china because i don't think people understand how big i don't think some people understand how big the box office in china is it is ginormous and it is now the biggest market in the world right like in terms of singular country mm-hmm. uh it can blow our domestic market out of the water so, and I think this is just a shift. This is just the beginning shift of seeing American releases not being prioritized because Tenet has been released in like being South Korea at this point. Um, but I think, you know, like I think the sixth highest grossing movie of like 2017 was a Chinese movie that like was only basically released in China. Like that's yeah. how big their market is. They can have a domestic I mean- release. <laughs> break top 10 in global sales yeah i mean if you think about it a business's goal is to make money um all of these movies that are out or in production or all of these movies that are being released have been done for at least six months now right because they've been delayed for a long time and i don't know if people are aware but like okay you have your production budget and then your marketing budget is like half of your production budget so they have literally spent like triple digit millions in marketing worldwide and it was about to come out. So they already spent that money essentially. And then it was all for naught. 
So, like, they really need to make this money back. This was their tentpole yeah. for Q1. And, you know, it's it really sucks because I still think there's, like, another question of, like, why is this being released as opposed to something like Black Widow, which is was probably ready to go, you know, had a May 4th release date or something like that. And they're still saving that for theaters. Yeah. I mean, uh, part of me, though, is one of the reasons why I am actually going to pay the money and support it is because, like you were saying, some movies are being released, but also in the states are being released in theaters. Um, Tenet, New Mutants, um, to the point where even critics weren't given screenings of New Mutants. They had to see it in a theater. And so a lot of them refused to review so for me like i'm kind of happy to support it being put on a safer platform in america because america is not safe right now so um yeah and then you know what i i know my friend is on disney plus i'll make her watch it with her kids <laughs> so. yeah spread the love right like yeah, let's get yeah. the word out share your account <laughs> but you know i do appreciate that the studios are now trying something new right for, because for a long time they were just holding back and waiting to see if this whole thing goes away. And the sad thing is it doesn't seem like it's going to be going away anytime soon. So they have to, they have to adjust. They have to try new, new strategies. Yeah. And I mean, we'll uh, see how it yeah. turns out. It's kind of like no man's land right now. And I'm sure data, you know, they're going to have a shit ton of data collected from this experiment. And the, yeah. it, it doesn't have the sort of obvious, like broad young appeal. Um, like let's so so at the beginning of quarantine, Trolls World Tour <laughs> came mm-hmm. to like on demand and it did a shit ton. Um and but I think again, like we were saying, it was a bit broader for the younger crowd. And these are like fa- you know, parents who are all of a sudden they're stuck with their kids at home. So I think that that did like gangbusters right then, but now everyone's kind of settled in. So it's not necessarily a guarantee, although it has been interesting to see like what's on the Netflix top 10 and there's inevitably an animated film on there. That's a few years old. Like I think right now it's Mr. Peabody um, and Sherman. So (laughs) there, there's definitely a market for, you know, these family films and definitely kids skewing films, but is this the one, is this going to do it for them right now? Or are they just going to go to Netflix and watch an old film? Or even high school musical again. We'll see. That's true. Just watch Airplane with your kids. That would be a great substitute. I mean, that's how I grew up, right? I'm not damaged <laughs> and at all. And you turned out fine, I'm huh? so great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In fact, it made us even more interesting. I think so. I mean, <laughs> yeah. the first time I watched a Mel Brooks film was very formative to my... My, Those my, were the uh, least of, of the humor. things that I watched as a kid. Come on. Like, between the <laughs> violence and the sex I watched, and like, oh my God, it's ridiculous. And you're fine. Totally fine. fine. No problems here. Not at all. Huh. Well, yeah, Mulan comes out next week. So, yeah, if you have Disney Plus, check it out, I guess. Um, with that, that'll also do it for this edition of Do We Want This? Jess Han, thanks again so much for joining me and talking all about this month's news on Good Pop. If people want to follow you guys on social media, where can they go? You can find me at JessJewTweets on Twitter. And you can find me at Anonymous. You can find me at Marvin Yue. You can find the show at Good Pop Club and subscribe to us by going to the website goodpop.club. I uh, wanted to give a quick shout out to the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts that we're a proud member of. 
Check out all of our fellow podcasts, including a brand new one from Phil Yu, a.k.a. Angry Asian Man, called All the Asians on Star Trek, which just launched this week. You can learn more about that podcast and more by going to our website at podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next time on Good Pop. Bye, everyone. Bye. Stay safe and sane. Pop up. Kim! Steve? What's going on? Tell me, what do you know about K-dramas? Oh, um, they have something to do with the drama that comes from K-cup coffee pots? Because you know they're bad for the environment? Uh, No. Oh, you mean Korean dramas? Yeah, I know that they are very grounded in reality. No, that's actually the opposite of what happens. It it sounds like you don't know anything about K-dramas. Yeah, I was just guessing. That's actually perfect. Remember Will, Phil, and Joanna did that Korean drama podcast? Yeah, they saw Boys Over Flowers. Yes, and people apparently listen to it and want another season. But Will and Phil are still recovering from that season. Oh my god, are they okay? I did hear they tried to give themselves amnesia. Oh, is that a K-drama thing? Yeah, pretty much. So, are you guys down to help out with the new season of the Korean drama podcast? So we're going to be watching a K-drama this time? Which one? Secret Garden, from 2010. It was a big hit. And if you're down, check out the Korean Drama Podcast at koreandramapod.com. Kaja! Am I going to see sauna towel buns?